dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see the headlights on both ends of my day this country Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer Amlatsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. In this week's episode, we'll bring you the stories you might have missed in the October 12th print edition. We'll have an interview for National 4-H Month with some adult volunteers who help with the Kansas State Fair judging. And I'll bring the latest on the grain markets, and then we'll have some final thoughts. But before all that, let's uh, let's get caught up, Kayleen. It, we're still in uh, National 4-H Month, and High Plains Journal is rolling out a circulation campaign in the coming weeks to help benefit 4-H. So folks, be watching our print and, and online editions for those details when they come out. And that's why we are featuring all this month and on into next 4-H families and volunteers um, telling us how the program has provided hashtag opportunity for all. Um, This is kind of fun, isn't it, Kayleen? Yeah, it's kind of cool. And 4-H doesn't go anywhere unless you have volunteers. That is so true. (laughs) You and I, we've both um, volunteered and and been judges and have worked at the fair to bringing bringing in entries. It's, it's a lot of time and a lot of work, but I think it's kind of fun, don't you? Yeah, this Monday, my son had a 4-H meeting and they ins- had a ceremony to install the new officers and it was the 95th installation of officers for the DIY juniors and I thought that was kind of cool and Sean was acting all silly. I was like, you know, this is the 95th time. It's almost 100 years that your club's been in existence. You need to pay attention to see what they're doing because he didn't quite understand why they had the candles up front and all the decorations and the leaders really went to a lot of effort to make it special this year so I thought that was kind of cool. Were you an officer in your 4-H club when you remember? No because they only had president, vice president, secretary, historian. They didn't have very many offices and now it seems like everybody and their dog can be an officer in the club if they want to. <laughs> yep. I tell you, um, I credit the fact that I was uh, the Jolly Jayhawkers reporter for me wanting to be a reporter when I grew up, <laughs> because at the time, um, it, was be- it was a very simple task. All you had to do was write up a little story about what your club did at their monthly meeting. So um, what motions were made. Uh, what business was decided, who gave project talks. It was a very simple little thing for a young member to do. And I remember um, I was I was a chicken and I still am kind of a little bit Kayleen, but I was a real big chicken when I was first joining 4-H. And the, the editor and publisher of the Abilene Reflector, um, Vivian Sadowski, was like, 
she was a, a broad of all broads. Okay. <laughs> and, and I use that term very, very in respect and reverentially <laughs> because she was just um, a woman that put up with no guff. And if you were going to submit something, it had to be spelled right and it had to follow AP style and it needed to look a certain way and it needed to include a certain thing. And if it didn't, she'd tell you, didn't matter how old you were. If you were going to submit something to her paper, you needed to do it right. And I think that's how, that's part of what shaped me the way I am today is that writing style is from Vivian Sadowski. So um, she has since, um, you know, gone on to, uh, to heaven. And I still think of her occasionally every time now that my nephew is a 4-H reporter and that, well, he's got now got a new office, but I looked at all of what he submitted last year. And I just, I gotta say, Kayleen, I was so full of pride for that kid. It's not like I was, you know, doing anything other than being his aunt, but watching him write stories about his little 4-H club makes me very happy. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, we, uh, volunteering for 4-H, Kayleen, you're so right. It doesn't work unless people put in the time and the effort. And right now it's really tough as an adult to decide if you're going to volunteer for a program or how much time you're going to devote to this, that, and the other. Um, folks, if you're on the, on the line, 4-H could really use your help, couldn't it? Yeah, there's lots of spots that need filled. And I know during our county fair, there was places where they needed volunteers and I don't know that they actually got people they needed. So the other ones that were there had to step up and, you know, it doesn't matter if you were even in forage, somebody can help you and somebody can point you in the right direction and we could use your help. Exactly. Well, Kayleen, uh, we had a bit of a windstorm. <laughs> I don't know if we were calling that dust storm this week uh, or this weekend, a haboob or what we what we had but it looked almost apocalyptic didn't it yeah I was I had come home I had a photo session and I come home and it was nice it was beautiful for the the photos and I get almost probably three miles from home and I look to the west and there's something building <laughs> and it looked like dirt you could see the the billows of the dirt in the air and then when I got home <laughs> It was closer. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I was inside on Sunday night. I had the drapes drawn because I was on a, a Skype call or a, a Zoom call with some friends. We do a, a virtual book club and I didn't see the, the cloud roll in, but I could taste the dust and I was inside and, <laughs> and it was just, it, it, uh, it, it permeated everything uh, closest to the dirty thirties we'll ever be. Um, yeah. so John wanted to stay outside and experience the, the dust rolling through. And I was like, um, no, get in the house, but you couldn't really taste it in our house, but you could sure hear it because the wind was out of the Northwest and it just rattled the whole house for probably a good two, three hours. Well, um, I bet that made for interesting harvest conditions the next day. We are in the middle of fall harvest, aren't we around here? Yeah, there. I noticed this morning when I came home from town, there were somebody was already cutting cutting Milo, and my husband's been stuck in the truck, and 
gritching about it every night when he comes home because that's not his most favorite place to be. <laughs> well, and cutting Milo is not the best and funnest job in the world. That stuff is itchy. The dust is itchy. It can uh, actually cause you Milo or pneumonia um, because the particles yeah. get into your lungs. My dad always had to be careful and wear an N95 mask whenever he was cutting Milo or handling it in any way. So it's worth it though. Um, folks bringing in the harvest, thank you so very much. And we hope that you're being safe out there, right, Kayleen? Yeah, doing what you need to do to stay safe and on the roads and be aware of those that are around you and those that are moving the big equipment. And I've noticed, you know, down my, my little dirt road and then the blacktop to town, there's been lots and lots of, of truck traffic and combines and grain carts and the little cars need to be aware. <laughs> yes, they do. And I was a little car the other day and there was a tractor and a grain cart that missed turning onto our road. So we had to stop and wait for him. And Sean was impatient and I'm not real sure where he gets that from, but he's like, mom, just honk at him. I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm sure I have no idea where your son could ever have gotten his impatience from. <laughs> so how are you folks out there drop us a line at hpjtalk at hpj.com and let us know or call us at 1-800-452-7171 and do us a favor and head on over to itunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review alta seeds brings us this week's episode Alta debuted its new iGrowth sorghum line to the U.S. market in the first-ever Sorghum Frontiers Virtual Field Day. iGrowth is the world's first non-GMO herbicide-tolerant sorghum that's now commercially available in the U.S. market, enabling pre- or post-emergent weed control. Be sure to register for the second Sorghum Frontiers Virtual Field Day, which will be November 5th, and will further showcase iGrowth at hpj.com sorghumfrontiers. Learn more about this new trait and the company that's bringing it to your farm. Well, hey folks, it is the fall harvest run and we know you're busy, but go ahead and turn up the speaker and the tractor or the combine and ride with us here on HPJ Talk. This week's cover story is by Jenny. Collaboration brings new water management tool to Ogallala Aquifer irrigators. The Twin Platte Natural Resources District Water Data Program has pulled multiple private and government entities together to provide real-time measurements of groundwater use on the Ogallala Aquifer. This program uses monitors on irrigation wells that measure how much energy is used to pump water instead of costly well meters that measure the water that is pumped. This data is collected from electrical meters in the field and uploaded to the cloud. Combined with well-known flow rates, the data can provide a real-time snapshot of farmers' water usage rather than the end-of-the-year report card they receive now. This helps them to adjust their irrigation in the season and further preserve their water resource, but also save on pumping costs. Yeah, Kayleen, this is something that I stumbled across when I was doing some research for our irrigation cover. 
And it's not unusual to have a public and private partnership of any kind, right? I mean, we see them all the time. There's USDA research and, and um, we have land grant universities that work with private industry. But Kayleen, this combines at least three different um, private companies, a water district, the University of Nebraska at Lincoln, and the government of Nebraska, all pooling together and coming together to help farmers instead of use um, to find real-time data on just how much water they are pumping out through their irrigation wells. And, everybody, and you think, well, that's not really revolutionary. We've got well meters, right? We know how much water you pump, but you get an end-of-the-year report card. You don't get an in-season hour by hour, day by day, hey, this is exactly what your well's doing. And this project, it was a very simple idea to, to make it work. We just need to know how much electricity you're using to pump the water because we know the well flow rates that are, that are actually known on those, on those irrigation wells. You combine the pump rates with, or the flow rates with um, the electrical bill that you the electrical meter that's on those pumps and you get a real-time number that you can use and you can figure out if you need to turn it on or off or however. And uh, what's key to the whole thing is the fact that a, a statewide company, a telecommunications company is actually bringing um, Wi-Fi essentially, uh, a, a different kind of Wi-Fi, high-speed um, access to fields, to farmer fields. So that way they can better upload their data to the cloud quicker, fast, uh, quicker and more economically than if they were going to use cell phone data or, um, you know, other, other plans. It is remarkable that they're making it work. Um, and in this water district, they could save millions of dollars um, by going to this program and they can save millions of gallons of water out of the Ogallala Aquifer which is going to be incredible for everybody. So I, I was really <laughs> just fascinated. Yeah, it's pretty neat that they can drill it down and pinpoint to where, when they need to shut the water off, when they need to turn the water off, or even if they need to adjust the system somehow or their sprinkler itself needs adjusted or the nozzles need adjusted that way. I mean, they can save money essentially yeah. in real time compared to, oh, we're going to have to do this next year. Right. When I talked to one of the farmers in the program, um, Rorick Paulson, uh, he said that, you know, he, he gets, he collects a lot of data on his farm time. And I mean, he is a, he's a data junkie. If you, if you want to, you know, put a name to it. And for him, he knows that at the end of the year, he gets a, basically a report card about how much water he pumped throughout from each of his wells throughout the whole year. He knows that it costs him to pump that water, and he knows using evapotranspiration rates and a few other things just when to apply the water to the right growth stage of the crop. So you're using water to its fullest potential, making every drop count, right? Well, um, even so, he was using an end-of-the-year report card to guesstimate what he was going to need for the following year. This way, with this program, he can actually pull it up on his phone and he can make real-time decisions whether he's in the field or not. It's, it's fascinating. Um, there's going to be a lot of states that are going to be watching this 
it's in the first year and well, first two years of of a four-year program. But so far they've had almost half of the farmers in the district sign up and it, here's the kicker, no cost to the farmer, Kayleen. The water district is taking care of the cost of the program. Well, that's handy. Yeah. So good luck guys. Well, hey, Lacey Newland had a story on the inside when disaster strikes the farm. Uh, Lacey spoke with Cami Gallus, an Oklahoma State University professor of human development and family science, about how farmers can cope with disaster on the farm and not just the economical effects, but psychological trauma as well. That's on the uh, inside edition of, of our High Plains Journal. On the opinions and editorials page, editor Dave Bergmeier has a column this week, 4-H, Certain in Uncertain Times. And a letter to the editor comes from James Finnick, Associate Professor of History at the University of Science and Arts of Oklahoma in Chickasha, titled, This is Not the First Time the Nation Has Dealt with a Tragedy. We also have a letter from U.S. Senator John Thune from South Dakota. Self-driving vehicles could boost rural regions. And Kayleen, you have a story out of our 2020 Soil Health U, covering our speaker, Brandon Schlotman of the Land Institute. Uh, titled Researcher Sees Fit for Perennial Small Grain Crops. Hey, remember folks, we are going to be back in Salina for Soil Health U 2021 this coming January 20th and 21st. Registration is now open at SoilHealthU.net. Read more on the variety of ag issues facing farmers and ranchers in the print High Plains Journal or look for it online anytime at www.hpj.com. And if you've got a response to something you've read or heard, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. We want to hear from you. This is Kayleen Scott here with Jenny Latsky, and we have Randy Dirksen and Tony Foster. Both are former 4-Hers, and they have been doing some judging and helping out the 4-H community during these wonderful COVID times. Yeah, I'm so glad you didn't say trying times, Kayleen. Yeah, I have lots of terms I dislike right now, so. (laughs) (laughs) And if you couldn't tell, there's sarcasm in there. (laughs) Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Um, I guess let's start off talking a little bit about yourselves and why are you an adult volunteer? Um, Randy, why don't you go first and then Tony, you. Well, I've been a 4-H'er since I was seven and um, I never really knew throughout my years in 4-H, you know, that went through my freshman year of college and never really thought about the opportunity of ways to give back to 4-H, but I found that through judging and building relationships with young people who have worked hard all year on their projects has just been such a rewarding way for me to be able to give back to something that gave so much to me. And um, so that's, that's kind of been my involvement and the, just the opportunity to whatever, whatever opportunity is needed for judging, I'll jump in and try to help out because um, I just want to help the young people with the work that they've done. So true. So true. Tony, you you do a little bit of of that as well. Yes. So like Randy, I've been uh, 
involved in 4-H since I was seven um, and never really stopped. It's been one of those things when I was in college, it did slow down a little bit for me. But uh, after I got out of college, it's I've gotten so much out of 4-H. How, how do I repay that? How do I pay it forward to the uh, youth that uh, have been working on these projects, have been growing? And really, I want to enable them to go even farther than I have. And so that's how I've uh, been involved in 4-H uh, all this time. Kayleen, you and I, we talk a lot about how that's one of our responsibilities as an adult um, alumna, alumnus coming out of the program is to give back however we can. You've judged, I've judged. I tell you what, it's, it's a pretty big responsibility to be a judge at a county fair level, let alone a state fair level. Yeah, and I couldn't imagine being a judge at state fair. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not nearly brave enough to be a judge at the state fair level. <laughs> But gentlemen, both of you were, and this year we had so many complications because of COVID. Kayleen, your boys had, um, you know, they had to deal with um, different levels of, of how they were presenting their their stuff um, as a 4-H mom, navigating what the rules were going to be. Um, maybe, Tony, let's, tar- let's start talking about how, how we figured out how to do the judging format at the state fair and how to make sure that those static those static things were judged competently and, and kids had an opportunity. So um, from my experience, and I'm superintendent for the uh, STEM division of projects at the state fair. So rocketry, astronomy, um, computers, robots, uh, all those fun things. And we, uh, interestingly enough, uh, had put a bunch of stuff in place uh, um, at the end of last year going, this is going to make it easier for us to judge at the state fair. Um, And the big thing was we required videos for most of the project areas, not knowing that we were going to have a uh, COVID uh, crisis on our hands. And so um, for us to make that pivot, we it was really nice having some of those rules in place that we didn't even know were going to help us. Um, but it became a very uh, complex thing because we had to have plans for, are we going to have this in person? Are we going to have exhibits, but no one in person? Um, are we going to have to do this all virtually? And so we had several different sets of plans um, that we were working against and trying to get uh, the plans to have as much overlap as possible for each of these areas. And so um, when the decision was finally made that, hey, it's going to be virtual, everything was a, a quick shift to okay, virtual, let's tie off the loose ends on our path to virtual. And from talking with other uh, program uh, leaders and stuff uh, for the state fair, um, that's how a lot of them were preparing for it as well, was how are we going to do this? What what are the things that uh, we need? What rules do we have to throw out? Because we 
quite literally can't judge against those rules in a virtual environment. What rules do we keep? How do we make this fair and consistent for all of the youth across the state uh, who may or may not have uh, uh, reasonable access uh, to similar systems? I was going to say, Kayleen, that, that sounds like it, it was just a monumental thing, right? Yeah, it sounds like it'd be a task on the back end to have all that stuff set up and then have all the kids have the capabilities they need to have and all that sort of thing. Well, and Randy, you were a judge. Um, Tony, you were as well. But Randy, you judged the boys' bymanship or men's bymanship. I don't know what the proper terminology is anymore. I still go off the 90s terminology, so forgive me. <laughs> but and, and in the 80s, it was best groom boy. Oh, well, see, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it used to be called. But actually, that would have been in the 70s um, when I was in it. It was called best groom boy. So, but yeah, I think it's men's bymanship now. So you were a judge on that end using that platform. What was it like for you? Because you've judged in person like Kayleen and I both have. Right. How, how was it for you navigating this? And, and what did you try to do to help kids learn from the judging experience, even though you weren't sitting across the table from them? You know, for me, the word judge so many times comes down to a ribbon and Personally, I don't love that because for me, judging is about feedback and it's about relationships and it's about establishing a, re a relationship in sometimes a moment or two, you know, just very, very quickly. And then being able to have that relationship provide you the opportunity to give them some really quality feedback, obviously positive as well as that might, which might be constructive so that they can learn for the next time. The platform of judging boys' bymanship, young men's bymanship from a picture kind of eliminated that relationship piece. And, you know, for me in that particular competition, the handshake and the welcome in the door when they come in to be judged um, is, is the moment where that begins. And I didn't have that handshake this year. And it was so different because for me, that, that, that particular project is about presenting yourself as a human being to be in an interview in the future or to look for jobs. And, and so that was a piece that was really challenging for me. Um, but, you know, you also are then able to read what they wrote. And so they had to type up a, um, a document that kind of responded to a couple of questions and you kind of got a flavor for what they were thinking and how you know, the reason they purchased what they did and and what it was going to mean for them and so your relationship sort of became with those words and then looking at the pictures that they that they provided two pictures per person and then determining the feedback that you could provide them based on what you what you see in that and what you read the thing that i struggled with is a thousand characters is all i had to type and so you know, for me, a thousand characters is like two sentences or something, uh, you know, not really. But but that was a challenge for me. I had to go back and edit so many times and remove spaces. And, you know, if I said wow more than once, then I eliminated one of them. And um, so really the, the, the number of characters that I was provided to provide feedback was a challenge for me because I wanted to give them so much more. And in person, I would have had that opportunity to, but it was awesome. And, and 
you, you know, I, I love learning stuff and I love learning new things and I love trying new platforms. So it was great. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Man, I, when I judge, I usually get the, the youth um, talks and demonstrations or the miscellaneous product projects. Mm-hmm. I'm really good at poster judging. And all of the random stuff, because I tell people, you don't want me judging photography. Now, Kayleen, she is a photography judge. By the way, Tony, she's a photography judge. (laughs) Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. (laughs) And I know filling out those comment forms is so vital because when I was a kid, I, I looked for the comments. I wanted to improve year after year. And when I didn't get comments, I kind of felt, well, gee, didn't you, didn't you really take time to look at it? So. I'm really glad that that we're still doing that. Kayleen, when you judge, I know you give a ton of comments. Yeah, I always try to give feedback. And my oldest son was in the boys' bymanship at our county fair this year. And, of course, he can't tell me, you know, what did the judge say to you? Because he doesn't remember that. But when we get the judge's sheet, I go back and we discuss what what he did or what he didn't do. So I I look for the comments and ways for for him to improve. Mm -hmm. And and comments are one of the things that... uh... As a uh, superintendent, I strongly encourage uh, uh, the judges in my division to do, in fact, uh, for the state fair, and I'm sorry, Randy, you didn't get this opportunity. uh, We actually developed a a special form so that our judges could have those uh, long list of comments beyond a thousand characters. We uh, modified our judging forms for the uh, um, STEM divisions enabling us to go, okay, here's 2000 lines or whatever on your project, because there's so much feedback uh, that is appropriate and helpful at the state fair on many of these projects that it's like a thousand lines isn't going to be enough um, for us, especially for example, if it's a computer program, a thousand lines you can spin that on one line of code in somebody's uh, uh, computer program. So we actually uh, came up with ways around that for at least the STEM area. You're talking about the STEM program and how the kids are stretched beyond what they're used to. Um, do you see any of the kids that have gotten excited about, you know, this isn't the, the fair that my, my parents had or my grandparents had. It's something that's new and innovative that, May, they may not have seen before. Yeah. Um, so I've judged uh, every type of county fair you could think of this year from in-person to virtual. And it, it's amazing when you watch uh, youth, how excited they get, whether it's a virtual uh, fair or um, a actual in-person fair about uh, the program and many of them are really enthusiastic about sharing their product or projects um, with the judges and that especially uh, came through in the uh, virtual fairs that I got to judge Um, because a lot of them required the youth to video as part of their fair and you could really see the enthusiasm hey this is new this is different this is exciting I get to show you my rocket, my robot, my whatever um, in this video or in this Zoom uh, call and see this and see that. And they just had a really good time with it and took it in some creative directions that 
I wasn't expecting. So there's definitely growth uh, coming out of this uh, pandemic and the way we've changed it. So I'm really excited to see that. And I'm actually looking forward to what uh, some of these youth do next year with uh, their projects because they've really started down an interesting path that I think is going to uh, send them in interesting directions uh, in their uh, life. You know, I, I can't help but get excited over the fact that we have talked for years about how to tell the 4-H story to the people that come to the fair, right? I mean, that was something that, that's why you have the displays at the county fair. That's why you have the displays at the state fair. So people outside of our 4-H bubble can see the project work, can see what the kids are doing, can learn from the kids teaching others through their exhibits, right? And now we've opened, it seems like we've opened up a whole new world to reaching beyond the dates of the county fair. I'm seeing that we're starting to see um, social graphics of winners from the state fair of their actual projects. And we're being it, we're, we're sharing that beyond the gates of, of the fair in Hutchinson. Um, Randy, Tony, I guess, um, what do you guys think about that for 2021 and beyond? I, I think there's a lot of value in what happened. One of the things that I noticed, I also had the opportunity to judge demonstrations and public speaking for the state fair. And it almost seemed like in some ways, it even the playing field, the technology did. Because there are, there are young people who are more comfortable being in front of that busy state fair audience than others. And you know when you when you go to the state fair, the places that you present are the same as they were when I did it in 1976. You know, you still have all the people buzzing around, and and that's a lot of distraction. And I think that for some children, that can be a challenge. And so it almost seemed to me that as I watched each of the demonstrations that they prepared, it, it just almost I kind of felt like it even the playing field in terms of that affective piece of the presentation and them giving that. One of my favorites that, that I remember was a young man who was doing his cooking demonstration in the kitchen. And it was so awesome that he was cooking in the kitchen. And you know it just made so much sense. And he was on the island and the sink was behind him and the refrigerator was on his left. And, and the whole time I just, I just kept thinking, this is so cool. You know, never could you create that kind of environment at the state fair. Um, so I, th I felt like a lot of good things came out of this. I definitely, I, I just get tingles when I think about, you know, we've been talking about kids using their skills in their professional lives. It's, it's really hard for a seven-year-old to think about someday I'm going to be a 37-year-old in a business world having to make a presentation. But let me tell you, when you're 42 and you have to make a presentation or you have to be a moderator, you really rely on those hard skills that 4-H gave you. Yeah. Um, Tony, how, how did you guys manage everybody's platforms, everybody's access? You talked a about it a little bit, but what were some of the behind the scenes, like Kayleen asked, what was, how did you make sure that everybody had the same access to technology that everybody else did? So we went for a lowest common denominator, in all honesty. Um, and so in the STEM projects, we used uh, PDFs for everything. 
because pretty much everyone should have access to Adobe Acrobat on some device, whether it's a computer, whether it's their phone, tablet, whatever. And we basically set that up with a uh, system where they could put pictures and everything else into a PDF and made it uh, as consistent as possible. Give us this picture of your rocket. Give us this picture of your robot um, or whatever the case might be. Copy and paste this here. That way, everything went into a standardized uh, format, lowest common denominator. Like I said, um, everybody's pictures were pretty much the same because you're going to pretty well cap your resolution uh, uh, with pictures. Um, and you send that to the uh, county extension office. The county extension office then uploads it into the FAIR system. We used a, a program called FAIR Entry uh, um, for the state fair. And um, at that point, uh, I got access into it. And the first thing I went through and did was go through and check all of the different projects and make sure that uh, the projects all lined up uh, with what they were supposed to, make sure we didn't have any uh, robots in the rocketry classes or um, the uh, one interesting one that we had was we had a home environment uh, project show up in our astronomy class. Um, and so you catch those things and uh, well, now wait, email back the agent and go, hey. Maybe it was a Mars um, a home, <laughs> home environment, right? Uh, now that would have been an interesting one. Um, but no, it was actually just a... Uh, slight uh, mix up and the home environment people I guess were wondering where the home environment uh, project was and so we got all of that straightened out um, at which point we uh, enabled the judges and uh, that was pretty much just turning on their access in the system and we gave them the same judging forms that we use uh, when we had the uh, physical state fair only again, those were turned into PDFs where they could put all the criteria and everything in um, and put in all of their feedback and comments uh, in those forms. And again, lowest common denominator, save this and send it back. We'll uh, then distribute it out to the youth. And so um, that is the approach that we took in STEM. And I know a lot of other uh, teams took a similar approach. Um, some of them, it was simply give us six pictures of your cooking project. Uh, one this way, one this way, one this way. And then three others, we don't care about how you do it to um, do that for us. So it varied, but they were all still um, pretty consistent in what we were trying to request and uh, consistent in how we were trying to consume those as well. Do either one of you think that these platforms are going to continue to be part of the State Fair and part of 4-H? Um, Tony, you want to go ahead and, and say your thoughts on that? Sure. Um, I do think they're going to continue to be part of the uh, State Fair. And actually, if you... We want a little bit of a back history on this. 
um, Fair Entry, which is, like I said, the program we use, um, has actually been in use by the State Fair for, I think, four years now. So all of this infrastructure has been in place. This is what's used to record all the ribbon placings and stuff at the State Fair anyway. And so it was merely turning on other parts of uh, fair entry that we hadn't used before. So yes, I know it's going to continue uh, to be used. And I think we have the potential to see it continue to expand um, because, and this gets back to Jenny's point, um, this is going to enable a larger audience. So I suspect even when we return to a physical fair, you're going to see uh, exhibit pictures and stuff posted into the system. That way, grandparents who are out of state or something can um, look at it. So cool. Randy, thoughts? Well, certainly I, I think it's, it's really, it's been awesome for this year and I can see that it's going to continue. And I wondered if that, if this was also the platform that was used when um, young people go over and check their ribbon status at the state fair, I kind of had a feeling that it was. So yeah, it has been used before, but at the same time, I, I, I miss that relationship piece. And I think that that's so important with the young people, but you know, I think about the fact I grew up in Reno County. So the state fair was 10 minutes away and you know, it was the same place as my County fair. And as a, as a judge, you know, those, those people who are from Thomas County or Finney County, or, you know, up near Wathena or down, you know, Columbus, Kansas. I wonder how many young people don't, but they choose not to exhibit at the state fair because it's a four hour drive. And that's a long ways. If you had a football game Friday night or you had something at school Friday and, you know, it's a long ways to go. And so what my hope would be is that maybe it's a, one of those one of those things where you can do both. You know, if you can make it to the state fair, then that's great. But if that would cause a hardship and if it would cause you to say, I can't go, then maybe that would be a way of, of allowing someone to participate and receive feedback. I know my kids miss the interaction of the fair, you know, with the judges and with each other at the fair. And I think being able to make that connection with other people is an important part of exhibiting. Um, do you have any improvements or anything that you think would help next year or other years where it has to be this way? I'm not on the technical side, so I'll throw this one at Tony and see what happens. <laughs> one of the things that I would love would be just simply like especially with the boys' bymanship, I would love to have been able to provide them verbal feedback rather than typed feedback. If I could have recorded my comments, I think that my, oh my gosh, you look awesome, would have meant more than when I typed it. Or, wow, have you thought about, or have you considered? You know, I, I think that some of those things maybe have more meaning when when they hear the voice. So I, I, that was an idea that I had as I, and I, and I don't mind typing, you know, I'm okay typing, but, but I did think, oh my gosh, if I could just talk and share. Um, so that was, that was an idea I had. 
So uh, there are some limitations to the fair sure. entry system, and that is actually one of them because that that's something that's been echoed many times by many different judges. It'd be great if I could sit here and record a video. Others on the other side are like, you know, I, I, I really don't want to do a video. I'm not the best video. And I understand that one as well. I personally, um, and again, going back to some of my county fair uh, instances, loved being able to record uh, videos for the youth on some of the virtual affairs I judged. And I could sit there and explain as I was going through my judging sheet, um, hey, this, you did really well. I noticed this is a problem and could actually have that verbal explanation, which Randy, to your point, um, I think is more valuable than just circling a number and then writing a note about, oh, sand more here or change this. Um, so I 100% agree with you. Um, and one of the things that happens, and this happens across all of the 4-H projects, is there is an analysis of how things went after the fair and what needs to change. And that actually starts right after the uh, fair. So one of the things the uh, STEM program does is what went well, what didn't go well, and we'll analyze the uh, entire process. What was good in February, March, and April? Um, what didn't work? What rules do we need to change? What do we need to add? What do we need to remove? And that's uh, something that just about all of the uh, different groups do. And I think we're going to see um, a fair amount of changes across the board to enable um, things like that to prepare us in case we have to do this again next year. Um, and again, to your point, Randy, to enable those groups um, in faraway places to come and be part of and participate in the Kansas State Fair. Well, hey, gentlemen, it looks like our time is slowly coming to an end here. Um, final thoughts on being adult volunteers for 4-H, um, offering your time to a program that means so much, especially in this, in this time of COVID. Um, Randy, you first. Well, Jenny, you, you said that you, you couldn't judge at the state fair and the heart that I see in both of you tells me that absolutely you could judge at the state fair. And, and I would, I would encourage anyone to become involved in that. You know, th there's a quote that is a part of my email and has been there forever. And I, I try to live my life by, you never quite know the moment in a child's life when you'll make a difference for a lifetime. And that moment might be right now. And I think that those moments that we have in 4-H and those moments that we have to give back are what it's all about. And that's what I love about having the opportunity to work with the youngsters across the state is those moments of time that you just never know. Because there were moments in 4-H that to this day shape who I am. Randy, awesome. Well done. That was wonderful. Um, and all I can add to that is if you're interested in getting involved in 4-H, reach out to your local extension office. 
um, and they can guide you through the um, process, what opportunities they have and everything else. So please um, visit uh, with your local extension agent and find out how you can help shape a youth's life. I couldn't say it better ourselves, right, Kayleen? Right. Well, gentlemen, thank you for joining us today on HPJ Talk. And folks, remember, if you want to learn more about 4-H in your community, go chat with your local county or district extension 4-H office. There's one in every county in the United States, and those folks can help you find where you can um, find more information about 4-H, or you can go to 4-H.org, and those folks can help you as well. Thanks, gentlemen. and. Um, Thank you for making the best better. Thanks so much. Your grain market prices from Dodd City's Pride Ag Resources on October 6th. Corn was up at $3.95. Wheat was up at $5.04. Milo was up at $4.50. And soybeans were up at $9.54. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters on our website, www.hpj.com slash signup. Simply select the topics that interest you and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Be sure to watch for our wheat technology issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes October 19th with a story from one of our All Aboard Harvest correspondents, Brian Jones. And look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Hey, thanks again to Alta Seeds for sponsoring this week's episode. Alta debuted its new iGrowth sorghum line in July. iGrowth is the world's first non-GMO herbicide-tolerant sorghum that's commercially available in the U.S. market, enabling pre- or post-emergent weed control. Be sure to sign up to catch the second installment of Sorghum Frontiers, which will be November 5th, by registering at hpj.com slash sorghumfrontiers and learn more about this new trait and the company that's bringing it to your farm. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com slash podcast. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again, folks, for riding along with us as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. Headlights on both ends.